he got all of that one. Got all of that one. Welcome to In the Rough, a podcast dedicated to golfing in the Treasure Valley and beyond. And beyond. In the Rough is presented by First Tee Idaho, providing accessibility and affordability to golf while teaching our youth respect, integrity, courtesy, perseverance, sportsmanship, honesty, judgment, responsibility, and confidence. First Tee Idaho, because golf is more than a game. And welcome to another edition of In the Rough. I'm Corey Michaels, along with Executive Director of First Tee Idaho, Nick Blasius. And uh, golfing stud, why don't you, uh, <laughs> you had quite the Father's Day. I did. I had a very enjoyable Father's Day with my dad yesterday. Shot my uh, personal best, and uh, it was super fun to walk with him while doing so. So, And what was the... I uh, shot seven under par, shot 64 at the River Club, and it was a very, very fun, memorable morning. So Very nice. It was good. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> Why don't you, we talk about the the rest of May, how did things go, and now in through, you know, over half of uh, June. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, I mentioned in the previous podcast, our we've had an interesting spring weather-wise, so uh-huh. that impacted our <laughs> spring programming, but we were... Uh, we were versatile and we you handled persevered? it. Yeah, we persevered just like our first C core <laughs> values and we got it done. And now we're deep into our June classes right now. Very busy. Over 300 kids in our June classes right now. So That's awesome. We are rocking and rolling. All right. So besides the classes, what else is coming up? Tournament wise or yeah, event wise? Yeah, we've got some fundraising events coming up. We've got uh, our nine wine and dine event this Saturday night at the River Club, which is always a very fun event. Nice. Uh, you know, we're going to have probably 80 players there do a little dessert auction where we partner mm-hmm. with Life's Kitchen, which is really, really awesome. Cool. Yes. So they prepare the desserts for us and we split the proceeds from that part of the event with them which is super fun um and then we've just getting ready for our july classes with which kick off right after the fourth of july and that seems to be more of a travel month for a lot of families so our numbers are down right now but we're expecting uh some more signups in the next couple weeks all right sounds great i've got a couple more people i want to shout out we're pretty excited um we have two of our participants who were selected for the first t game changers academy Uh which was previously called the Leadership and Life Skills Academy. Uh, Boise hosted it in 2019. Uh, This year it's taking place in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and they pick 72 kids from around the country that are attached to a First Tee chapter. And so this year, Robbie Knight and Maddie Wosicki from the First Tee Idaho chapter were selected, which is very, very, very exciting. That Um, is. They're longtime participants in the program. Now they're transitioning into those assistant coach and coach roles, which is fun, giving them those leadership skills. Um, We couldn't be more thrilled to have them representing First Tee Idaho. Well, we'll definitely have to have them on to talk about that experience. and It's going to be very cool. Awesome. Now, all right, who do we have today? So today we've got somebody uh, with us that uh, is a good friend of mine, uh, a mentor of mine, a very accomplished player from around Idaho, uh, a more than accomplished instructor, just really a legend in Idaho for golf, and that would be Mr. Jim Empey. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for being with us. You bet. Thanks for having me. Let's just dive right in, Jim. Okay. So give us some background. How'd you get started in golf? Who got you into golf? Things like that. I got started by um, my best friend in junior high. 
Very cool. He played with his family. Um, I got intrigued, and I began playing with them. The first clubs I had were his old ones, and uh, I was 13, and then I started taking lessons when I was 14. Very cool. And just kept going. How was playing golf growing up in California? It's tough. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> tough there. Um, what part? I was in Los Angeles. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it, 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 that's a tough place to grow up as a kid. Um, and, and the golf part was difficult. Um, public golf is um, extremely busy, and there isn't a ton of it. And so relative to the population. Mm -hmm. So it was a little bit tough. I was lucky in that uh, my teacher was a, a great pro in the area at a great club. That's, that's a whole nother story. But he helped me when I was 16. He helped me get access to the club where he worked. And I was able to play and practice there. Which leads right into my next question. I was going to ask, you know, yeah. who were some memorable instructors you worked with when you were growing up? And it sounds like there was one. Maybe you could dive into that story a little yeah, bit Yeah, there was, there was one for sure. His name was Ron Rhodes. He was the, the head pro at Riviera Country Club. And I got connected with him because my dad was a professor at USC. And when I got interested in golf, my dad called the golf coach at USC and said, who should my son take lessons from? And he said, this gentleman was Stan Wood, who's now in the Golf Coaches Hall of Fame. Uh, Stan Wood said, well, you should go see Ron Rhodes, and uh, who was a former player at USC and, um, and was a great pro. And so I went and saw him, and that became uh, uh, a lifelong relationship. And uh, I took lessons from him. He ended up being my college golf coach. He took over for Stan Wood. I uh, worked for him at Riviera and at Sherwood. And so uh, he was uh, much more than just an instructor. He was uh, a, kind of a second father. That's one thing I think a lot of uh, golf instructors turn into in a young person's life, right? Huh. Is more of a mentor rather than just a golf instructor. Sure. Right, help them get through college or advance their professional career, things like that. Right. So um, tell me a little bit more, like, at what point growing up did you realize, man, I really, really like this and I really, really want to get better? And is that at the point that your dad reached out and said, let's find the best instruction possible for Jim? I, I think so. I, I, I got pretty serious right off. Really? I was really intrigued, really enjoyed it. Um, it was a good outlet, um, living in a big city where I could go get on the course and play by myself, um, if, um, if possible. And, um, uh, so I got pretty serious right off the bat when I first started taking lessons at 14. Um, I knew I had to catch up to the people I wanted to play with and compete with. And so, um, I got very serious about it immediately. That surprises me, actually. I've gotten to know you quite well over the past few years, and huh. I didn't realize you had a little bit of a later start getting into yeah, golf than I the did. average. Very cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. What was it about the game of golf? You know, you said being out there by yourself, and but what, what was it about the game that really intrigued you? I think, uh, well, when I was young, the fact that I could do it by myself was great. I didn't have to find a buddy or I didn't find, have to find a group of friends to play with. I could do it by myself. I love being outside. 
I just loved everything about it. I, I remember the first time I went, I don't know if it was to the driving range with my buddy and his dad, um, or uh, I remember the first time I went to the LA Open and watched the ball flight. <laughs> that captivated me because I hadn't really seen anything quite like that. You know, a sport that was played over such great distances and where, you know, good players could create those type of shots. Uh, and as I say, that the, the ball flight, watching the ball come off the club and particularly off the driver really captivated me. Very cool. Yeah. So let's dive right into that college career. So yep. as you mentioned, your father was a professor at USC. So he growing was. up, did you always know you were going to go to USC? No. In fact, I didn't want to go there. Really? Yeah. I wanted <laughs> to go somewhere else. Um, I grew up around it. I'd been to football games from the time I was six years old. And so uh, I was really interested in going somewhere else, but it didn't work out. And um Going to SC ended up being the perfect thing for me. I had an opportunity to play. I wasn't good enough to get a scholarship, um, but I was able to walk on the team um, and earn a spot eventually. And then with my dad working at SC, I got to go for free. So, uh, you know, not only uh, did it end up being a great place uh, to get an education and play golf, but the price couldn't be beat. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was your major going yeah. through SC? I majored in communication, arts, and sciences. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. So what years did you play college golf at USC? I started in 79. I went a semester in 79, and then I finished in 83. So how do you rank playing college golf in the 80s versus playing college golf now? Well, I think it's... It's it's similar in many ways and but very different in many ways. The the um, we had terrific players in those days and we played good courses and good tournaments. We didn't have access to the kind of equipment that they have access to today. I mean, it was it was uh, difficult to get clubs. It was difficult to get balls. Mm-hmm. And if you were one of the better players, you know, you you got taken care of reasonably well. But the equipment that I see kids with today is pretty remarkable, um, all the way from, you know, the, the bags and shoes and clothing and rain suits. We never had a rain suit. Um, we never had any of that stuff provided. We had a crummy white golf shirt with a, you know, a Trojan thing sewn on the left chest. <laughs> Honestly. Yeah. And I was on a good team. I mean, we were... We had an NCAA champion, individual champion in the years I played, and uh, we won the Pac-10 a couple times when I played. So we had a nice team, but uh, it, it, it's it's different in that uh, it seems to be a lot higher profile. We didn't have tournaments on TV or the mm -hmm. Golf Channel, anything like that. We certainly didn't have access to the PGA Tour like the best college players do today. Right. Which surprises me very much hearing you say all that because USC is a big, that's a big school and a big conference. I mean, that's a big program. So. Yeah. No, we had a good team. Uh, we had some great players, um, but that's just the difference in the landscape of 40 years ago. Yeah. So going through your collegiate career, did you always know your goal was to turn professional upon finishing college? Yeah, I, I, I knew even before that. 
really? that I was gonna that golf was my priority. Yeah, I like it for sure. Very cool. Yeah. So you finish your uh, college career, turn professional, and is that when you started working at Riviera Country Club? No, I actually I turned pro. I tried to play. I went and played the Asian tour uh, right out of school, which was a huge mistake. I wasn't ready to go. Um, and that was discouraging and kind of used up all my money that I had saved up and put together. Um, and so I came home from that. I continued to play some mini tour stuff, but then I started working at Riviera shortly after that. Did you come to the realization that, you know, I can have a career in golf outside of playing with playing still being something that you're going to chase and pursue, but Right. You know, we can, I can still become a PGA member and, you know, turn this into a career and maybe generate some additional income outside of my playing. I think I wasn't smart enough to see that. Um, and consequently, I didn't become a PGA member till I was 36. Okay. That was a huge mistake. I could have done it easily in my mid-20s, and that would have opened up a bunch of other opportunities. Um, that would have been a life changer. I wasn't smart enough to do that. Um, I still wanted to play. I saw... Uh, I I wasn't that interested in being a club pro. And in those days, ultimately, I ended up coaching. And in those days, uh, the PGA didn't have a classification for college golf coaches. True. So um, that kind of worked against me getting my membership in the PGA. Yeah. So the two facilities you worked at in California were Riviera Country Club and Sherwood Country Club, correct? Sherwood. And then I taught. After I taught for a short time at a crummy little public course uh, uh, called Azusa Greens. I hope uh, nobody from Azusa Greens yeah. is listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> crummy little public course. Yeah. So Riviera and Sherwood, those are two pretty prestigious clubs, right? Some pretty big names were probably walking the hallways of Sherwood. Yeah, we, yeah, we, had, we had some famous people. Um, I always joke that I worked at, you know, at both ends of the spectrum. In Southern California, I worked at two of the nicest places, highest profile places, and then I worked at the most basic, uh, inexpensive uh, public course uh, anywhere in Southern California, I think. Um, did we? Yeah, we had some well-known people um, at Riviera. Um, I gave lessons to OJ for quite some time. Um, who else? I used to give lessons to our local NBC news anchor, Paul Moyer. He was a big shot for a long time in Southern California. We had a, f a few Hollywood people, not like Bel Air. That's in those days. That was the Hollywood club. Was it? Yeah. In Riviera, I mean, a longstanding host for the LA Open, now the Genesis Open. Right. Probably one of the favorite stops on the PGA Tour. No Definitely doubt. a tournament I love to watch every year. It just looks yep. like a great, great, very cool place to be. Me too. Yeah, it's really an awesome place. Um, I still think it's one of the best courses on earth, without a doubt. Um, there's no water. Um, there's very little out of bounds. There, It's just very straightforward. Uh, but... Uh, remarkably well done nice very cool yeah so and then you turned your focus into strictly teaching and coaching and became the head coach for usc's men's golf team yeah i got an opportunity to coach um i was sort of i think i right place right time my my playing career was wrapping up um um that's not sort of funny because my career didn't really go very far but trying to play was wrapping up and I was the right age. I think I was 31 when I got the job. 
Um, I still knew all the people at school. I took over for my former coach. Um, so the timing was right, and I did that for just a couple of years. Very cool. So the mentorship yeah. continued as you succeeded him in his role. Did he help you out as you became that head coach and sure. kind of show you the ropes? I think so to some degree. You, you know, um, talk about different day and age. I didn't have a computer. <laughs> we didn't have email yeah. when I coached. Interesting. I wrote handwritten letters to people and made phone calls. Wow. And I'd go to tournaments and visit with people. Um I remember uh, one of our boosters says said at one point, you know, you should get a laptop so you can travel and keep up with stuff. And I thought, laptop? What What do I need that for? <laughs> that shows you how the world's changed. Yeah, exactly. exactly. My, my office consisted of a desk with a phone. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> Making calls, trying to recruit players. <laughs> that was it. And then go to tournaments and try to see people, visit with people. Very cool. Did you have any success as a head coach? Oh, I don't think so. I, I mean, honestly, we had a couple decent teams, uh, but not great. Um, and I think it was it, kind of in the middle of that, uh, my wife and I had our son, and we really wanted to leave Southern California. So we began thinking about how to accomplish that, which is how we ended up in Boise in 1997. It's almost like you're reading my notes I have here for the interview because that was my next question is, okay, yep. you come to Idaho in 1997. What brought you to Boise? Why Boise? I had a, I had a buddy uh, that had moved up here. He was an Idaho guy that it, I'd gotten to know in L.A., and he came back to Boise, and I'd been up to visit. Thought it was great. Thought the weather was conducive to being in the golf business and, um, you know, a place that uh, – that we could raise our son and and um, not have all the issues that you have when you raise kids in a big city. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Corey, uh -huh. Jim is our first guest to play in major championships. Mm. Jim has played in four major championships, the 1992 U.S. Open, and the 2013, 2018 and 2022, just this year, Senior PGA Championship. Wow. You've been I'll, doing your homework. Yes, uh, I get prepared, good. Jim. You know me. So how I want to hear a little bit about the 92 U.S. Open. I believe sure. it was at Pebble Beach, correct? Pebble. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what was that experience like? I mean, was yeah, it hard it was, to put a golf ball on the tee on the first hole? Were you first a little nervous? Was, first tee was tough. Yeah, it was really tough. Um, I remember just trying to breathe. Um I got on the tee and, uh, you know, they, of course they want you there early. I, uh, who played in front of me? Scott Simpson, um, Larry Mize, and I can't remember who the other guy was in front of me. So I got there as they were just teeing off. They went off. And as you get closer, they kind of, the starter, who's a guy in those days named Ron Reed, he's probably still with the USGA, but they kind of give you a little countdown three minutes. So you, you, you know, and so at one point he says, okay, guys, one minute. And there's about, I don't know, the crowd is 10 deep. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think there was a bleacher behind the tee, but the crowd on the sides is about 10 deep. And right after the guy says, all right, gentlemen, one minute. <laughs> one of my old teammates who's in the 10th row 
yells, Jim, Jim. <laughs> he wants to have a conversation with me, you know, 45 seconds before I'm supposed to tee it up. So, uh, I, you know, that was sort of absurd at the time. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't believe he was trying to talk to me yeah. moments before we're, we're going to tee off. But I just said, hey, how you doing? And let's talk later. <laughs> I'll catch you at the turn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so that was kind of funny. If my memory serves, he's told me some stories about some practice rounds he played for that U.S. Open. And some key people that you Yeah, the practice with. rounds were um, probably the highlight of the week. I mean, the play was fun. And I played, I played okay. I didn't make the cut. But... Uh, but I got to play with Jack on um, what day was that have been? That would have been Sunday before the tournament. Play with Mr. Nicholas. How old was Jack Nicholas at that time? He was fifty-one, I believe. Okay, six years. So after he had, his yeah, triumphant he, win. Five years, yeah. He okay. had six years. You're right. Yeah, six years. So maybe he was fifty-two. Very cool. How was that experience playing eighteen holes of golf with him at Pebble Beach? It was great. I I, I went out. I checked in Saturday. This is an interesting story. I was the first person to check in for the Open because, you know, you qualify and there's 10 days or two weeks. I'm at home practicing, getting nervous. Yeah. I finally just said to Debbie, um, I'm trying to remember if we were, yeah, we were married then. I said, hey, I'm just going to go up. I might as well go up there and practice and be nervous up there than sit around home. <laughs> so I got there Saturday. I was the first person to check in, which turned out to be kind of a big deal because then I went out and played. I was the only person to play Pebble Beach that day, <laughs> which is remarkable. That is right. Remarkable. Yes. <laughs> and so I'm the only person out there uh, on a U.S. Open venue uh, and it was just sort of remarkable. Anyway, I went out Sunday morning to hit balls. We, I met my caddy about nine. And we walk on the range, and there's three guys on the range. Jack, uh, Sevy, and Nick Faldo. Okay. So I, I grab my bucket of balls, and I walk past, and, and I give you know say hello and hit my balls. And we eventually make our way down to the first tee. And Jack's already teed. Let's see. Yeah, Jack's already teed off. He's he's on the first green, so I'm just by myself. And there weren't many guys around yet. So I tee off and hit. We get to the first green, and I look back, and Seve is just teed off behind us. And Jack's in front of us. And so I turned to my caddy, and I said, well, at some point, we're either going to slow down or speed up. Because <laughs> <laughs> I want to be able to play with one of these guys. Yeah. So I, I really wanted to play with Seve, um, but he was hitting a million chip and pitch shots to every green. Really? Yeah, I literally tried to wait for him after the sixth green, but he was hitting so many short shots. I just thought, well, this is ridiculous. So I kept going, and I caught up with Jack on eight. He waved me up. I hit it to like a foot with a six iron. And when he waved me up, which is sort of remarkable um, <laughs> and then we played the rest of the way very cool yeah what an awesome day in your golf yeah it life. was a big day that was really really fun my caddy was just over the moon because he was a huge jack fan he'd followed jack in the in the yeah. 82 u.s open when he finished second mm -hmm. watched every shot 
And so he just, he couldn't talk. He was so. <laughs> I was going to say, I get nervous playing golf with you sometimes. I can't imagine having balls on the range next to Nick Faldo, Seve Ballesteros, and Jack Nicklaus. Yeah, it was a bit surreal. Well, and, and gosh, what a, what a beautiful course. I never played Pebble, but I was right. down in Monterey for 10 years. Right. And I played Spyglass and Poppy Hill, but I never had the opportunity to play. Yep. Uh, on on Pebble, but all three of them just uh, um, amazing courses. Yeah, no, there's uh, there's nowhere else like it. I mean, there's no, I don't think there's anywhere else on earth that has the topography, the mm-hmm. you know, the the expression is the Monterey Peninsula is the greatest meeting of land and sea on earth, and the combination of the color of the sand and the water and the rocks mm-hmm. and the wildlife and everything. In, in addition to just the golf, everything makes it uh, truly unique. Not to mention the fact that you're just standing on such historic grounds for the history of golf, right? Absolutely. I mean, the day you were out there by yourself, the only guy that played golf that day. What yeah, it was amazing. Special, special day. Right, right. That's very cool. Thank you for sharing those stories. You bet. Um, so kind of moving on, you know, from a 10,000 foot view, how do you feel golf has changed over the course of your career? I know we talked about that with college specifically, but what do you, how do you feel golf has changed over the course of your career? Well, that's a good question. Um, I think, um, I think the equipment has changed dramatically. I don't think the game has changed that much. Um, I do see, you know, teaching here in Boise at Quail Hollow for 20 plus years, I see more young people. I see more um, people in their 20s and 30s coming out with as buddies or as couples mm-hmm. and playing, which I think is great. Yeah. Uh, so, th- so golf has gotten a little bit more hip. Mm-hmm. It's a little less of a fringe sport or an old man sport right you know that your dad would play and that you'd maybe tag along but it wasn't very cool yeah Uh, i think that's changed which i think is good um the game itself i don't think has changed much even though the equipment is a hundred times better yeah you know the the um the average handicap of men and women in america is still the same Maybe it's changed in the last couple of years, but the last time I looked it up, it was the same. The average man has an 18 handicap and the average woman in America has a 31 handicap. And it's been that since 1954. Wow. So I think the, I think the equipment is phenomenal, 10 times better, makes the game more playable, but I don't think the level of play has really changed that much. Yeah. I think the last uh, two years, you know, we've really seen golf take that jump. It's, it was pretty static for the 15 mm. years previous, but you know, the last couple of years, it's gotten very, very popular again. That's great for our industry, and it is great to get more young people into the game of golf. No doubt. So you're in a new role in your golfing life, right? Uh, you are now the director of business development right. for the Rocky Mountain Section PGA. Yeah, that's give me title. a little uh, broad strokes on what that means, sure. And kind of what your new passions and things are in golf. Yeah, my role with the section is to find 
uh, sponsors, find support for our tournaments and events, for our education. Um, and then in addition to generate um, revenue for our foundation. Yeah. We're trying to do more charitable things. Um, using golf as a, as the, the common thread. Um, but things that, that for the most part impact kids and veterans Yeah, in our section. And as you know, our section's a big area, parts of five States. It's a two day drive from one corner to the, to the other. So geographically we have an enormous section that, that relatively speaking, isn't heavily populated. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, we're trying to impact the handful of key communities in our area. Yeah. So first he obviously junior golf is our focus. That's junior mm-hmm. golf, right? And golf right. is our medium to do so. Talk about the, you know, the veteran aspect of the foundation, what goals are there and some initiatives through the PGA of America. Yeah, the PGA has really um as a national body has really prioritized um veteran outreach. And in our section, we're, we're trying to do that in a couple different ways. We, we support the Folds of Honor, uh, which is a national group um, that has done a terrific job raising money to enable the kids and spouses of fallen military members uh, go to college. Yeah. Um, and they've raised a ton of money nationally. We're, we're helping that cause as well in our, in our small way. But then we also host, uh, and this is direct involvement of our membership, we host a half a dozen PGA HOPE programs throughout our section this summer. And PGA HOPE programs bring bring together challenged veterans, if you will, whether that means they've lost a limb or they have PTSD or uh, some other issue they're grappling with. We bring them together for six six uh, consecutive weeks, uh, about 90 minutes or two hours a week. Um, we teach them golf. We give them a comfortable place to hang out. We, we make sure they know that the course is someplace they can, that they're welcome. Mm-hmm. And then it, uh, it, it, it's really important with veterans today, particularly ones that are having challenges, um, it's really important to get them together with other veterans because the biggest issue they face is isolation. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it sounds like a small thing to come take a, a golf clinic over a period of weeks, but it turns out that it isn't such a small thing. Yeah. And that uh, being welcomed, being thanked for their service, having a common bond with the other participants, it's a big deal. Yeah. And it, um, um, I'm happy and proud that we're able to, to do that and that we're doing more. It's very cool, Jim. I very much commend those efforts. And yeah. I'm looking forward to our PGA Hope training that will be coming up so yep. I can get involved with that program as well. Yeah, That's awesome. Great. So the final segment of our podcast is we like to do some quick up and downs, we call them. So I'm sure. just going to ask you some quick questions sure. and just simple answers. Okay. Yeah. First one I always ask, favorite club in the bag? <laughs> uh, favorite club would be driver. Okay. Yep. That surprises me a little bit. Really? I don't know why. Yeah. You do hit it pretty good, though. Yep. Jim, how old are you? 
I'm 61. Jim, 61 years old, still hits it past Nick Blazius. I don't, sure. I don't know about that. Uh, number two, <laughs> yeah, golfer you looked up to the most growing up. Um, I looked up, well, I looked up to Nicholas, um, but I also looked up to Ben Hogan. My teacher was a Ben Hogan uh, aficionado, um, had spent some time with Mr. Hogan, um, was a Hogan staff member, as I was when I first turned pro. Um, so those two guys, they're very different, but I, I looked up to both of those. Very cool. Uh, one sentence answer. What advice do you have with parents or for parents of junior golfers that are seeking competition and playing golf at the collegiate level? Only one sentence. Yep. (laughs) Well, somebody that's trying to play at the collegiate level is an experienced player that, that is a serious player, uh, I would say find a qualified um, person to help guide your child, um, a good teacher, mentor, um, someone that can help um, the individual decipher his or her way through all the challenges of trying to be a good player. Very good. Favorite golf course in Idaho? Favorite course in Idaho? Um, that's a really good question. Um, Gazer Ranch is really good. I've, I've been lucky to play that one time. Um, I guess I'll go with that. Gazer Ranch. Yep. Favorite golf course outside of Idaho? Uh... You know, people, I, I get asked that a lot, and it's an impossible question to answer. My answer usually is Pebble Beach. Yeah. Because there's nowhere else like it. Mm-hmm. And I have, and I've had people say to me, "Well, you know, if you, if you, if it, if it wasn't on the coast, it, that wouldn't be a great course." <laughs> well, that's like saying if, you know, Yankee Stadium wasn't in New York, if it was in a <laughs> cornfield, it wouldn't be this good. Yeah. Everything about Pebble Beach is is um distinctive yep there's a reason it's the number one ranked public golf course in america yeah there's a, and, it, and it is expensive yeah. uh to go play i always say to people well, what would you pay to go to yankee stadium and play softball with your buddies for an afternoon yeah, yeah. what would that what's that worth yeah no kidding describe your golf career in three words <laughs> <laughs> uh it's still going. Jim, I love that. Great answer. <laughs> and I'll attest to that. <laughs> uh, most memorable shot of your career? Hmm. Boy, that's a good one. I, 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 I'm not sure I can pick one. I will tell you um, the one that pops to my head first, uh, when I qualified for the 92 Open in the sectional, um, I was, I think I was tied for low after the first round. I think I shot 72 the first round, tough course. And, um, we got to the last couple holes and I was just hanging on by my fingernails and the 17th hole, this is at Lake Merced, 17th hole was a good par three. I hit a five iron to like a foot Oh wow! and made birdie. And then I asked the guy that put me three over for the day. And then I asked the official, 
you know, what's the, what's going to make it? And he says, it looks like three over. And so then I played the last hole conservatively and made par. Very well done. Yeah. Very well done. And last but not least, not least for the first T Idaho podcast, what is your favorite nine core value and why? That's a good one. All the core values are great, but I like, I like responsibility. Okay. I, I think that's, uh, I think that's something that that value we need to hold up in this day and age um, when it's easy to be down and and upset with the world. And I think uh, I, I like to say personal responsibility. I guess that's um, redundant, but I think we all need to take greater responsibility for our day-to-day lives. I like it. Jim, thank you so much for being on the podcast. As I previously mentioned, you've been a big mentor and friend to me. And I appreciate it, Nate. Can't thank you enough for being here. Thank you very much. Corey? Yes, sir. Thanks. So lots coming up and uh, classes for July getting underway. Now, when is, you were saying things were down a little bit with summer vacations yeah. and, and all that. <clears throat> uh, when, if someone was listening or just heard and they called or sent an email, mm-hmm. w- is there room to get in? Absolutely. Uh, definitely room to get into some July cl- classes. I say they're down, but we still have, you know, 270 kids registered <laughs> yeah. for July classes. But, you know, if you want to get involved with programming, go to firsttidaho.org, go to the programming tab, very simple steps to get your child registered. We always offer scholarships for our programs. Um, if that's a hurdle to get them involved in the game of golf, uh, we haven't turned down a financial request in the last three years. So um, get involved. Go to firstdidaho.org under the programming tab. Uh, feel free to reach out to myself or Katie McKelvey, our program director. Um, quick shout out to Katie. She is an absolute rock star right now this time mm-hmm. of year. This is our peak season. She's driving all over the city, giving golf instruction to young people. <laughs> um, she's amazing. So, uh, yeah, reach out to us if you have any questions about the program. All right. And uh, do we have any ideas for guests that we can uh, tease coming up here? Well, we've got our July 11th 100-hole hike, which you and I have discussed yes. doing that on site. So we I, might have yeah. multiple guests that day, which will be very fun as they're going through the, the grueling day of 100 <laughs> holes of golf. So um, that'll be really fun. Man. We're going to try to do that still and have a lot of different guests on that day. All right. Sounds great. Something to look forward yeah. to. We appreciate you so very much for, you know, your your involvement with First Tee, your care about the, the program and the youth getting into golf and, you know, all that they learn more than just the sport. Absolutely. You know, it's uh, we talk about all the time that how, you know, golf is uh, so much a mirror to life yeah and if you get the core values here with that those are all things that are going to lend themselves to uh to a young person throughout their lives yeah well similar to all the things jim's trying to accomplish with the rocky mountain section foundation absolutely golf is simply the vehicle you know and we're trying to just have an impact on our communities be it veterans or youth or 
whatever yeah. it may be. Now, uh, Jim, real quick before uh, before we let you go, uh, how does someone get in get involved? Great question. Um, probably the best way would be to contact me. Okay. Let me know what what your interest is, um, and we'll find a way to get you involved and allow you to help us. Yeah. Be great. Okay. I love it. Help us grow and serve our missions. All right. So we are still planning for uh, the very first live on location (laughs) uh, podcast uh, for In the Rough coming up in July. That's going to be a lot of fun. We've got some logistics to to work out, but I uh, I think we can do it. We have the technology. Because of you. (laughs) Thank you, Corey, for that. And once again, thank you so much for listening, whether this is your your very first In the Rough episode or if you've been listening every month when they come on. We appreciate you, and uh, we look forward to talking to you next edition of In the Rough.